Hello and welcome to RipperCast, your podcast on Jack the Ripper and the Whitechapel murders. We are pleased to be able to bring to you the speaker presentations from the 2023 East End Conference. Organized by Adam Wood, Mark Ripper, Andrew Firth, and Carl Kopek, who also acted as MC for the event, took place on the 7th and 8th of October at the Astronomer Pub in Middlesex Street in the heart of the East End of London. Susan Perry, Sergeant Bryant's Scrapbook. I'd like to welcome my first speaker, Sue Perry. That's that good. Sorry, do you think they're standing here or not? Have you got your microphone and what have you? Sue's here to talk about the Hamstitch murders. So thank you very much, Sue. Uh, a jewellers by the name of H.S. Harris. 
Now, the shop was rumoured uh, to have a safe which contained £30,000 in cash, bearing in mind that's 1910, a phenomenal amount of money, uh, plus the rumour went the Tsar's jewels. So what better place for them to rob? Not only in that excellent injection of funds to further their cause, but it would also deliver a kick in the teeth to one of the very people they, they felt was at the heart of their misery. The fact that this was illegal didn't seem to kind of feature in their minds. So they did a couple of wreckies and then they hatched their plan. They would enter Mr. Harris's shop from the rear uh, of the building uh, in a street, a cul-de-sac known as Exchange Buildings. Whilst the units that faced onto Houndsditch uh, were sharp fronts, those at the rear facing Exchange Buildings were disused shops uh, mainly used for storage. Got a map here. Yep, there we go. Uh, the gang rented uh, two of these disunits, number 9 and number 11, in early December 1910. Uh, then number 10 uh, was a storage unit for a fancy goods merchant. However, the gang then discovered that this merchant had emptied out uh, his unit only a couple of days before. So now there were three empty shop units. Uh, which, separate, which were separated from Mr. Harris's shop but by just a three-foot-wide alley. The gang, as you know, uh, was led by George Garnstein. Uh, they entered via exchange buildings at about 7 o'clock in the evening of Friday the 16th of December 1910. Now, eventually, they, ne uh, they needed to start drilling through the rear of Mr. Harris's shop. But what they hadn't reckoned on was that the shop adjacent to Mr. Harris's shop, uh, the owner of that shop, lived above the premises. Alerted by the noise, he thought it best to report it at Bishopsgate Police Station, just a short walk away, and bear in mind, no mobile phones in those days. Uh, en route, he met PC Piper, and he told him of his concerns. Now, this enterprising constable, he proceeded to exchange buildings and he saw a light shining in number 11. He knocked on the door. When it was opened, he had a very uneasy feeling. So he said the first thing that came into his head to laugh at this bit. He said, is the missus in? <laughs> on being told no, he said he'd return later. Now, with hindsight, uh, that was probably not the wisest move as now the gang were alerted to the police curiosity. PC Piper returned to Bishopsgate's police station to raise the alarm. By 11.30 in the evening, nine officers had taken up their positions. One of these officers, <coughs> Sergeant Bentley, went into number 11 and immediately shots were fired. Uh, Sergeant Bentley was hit in the neck, and another officer, Sergeant Bryant, was hit in the chest and in the arm. Gunmen came out of the building and started firing in the Cutler Street direction. Police Constable Woodhams was hit in the thigh and he collapsed, and Sergeant Tucker was hit in the chest. The rest of the gang left the building and fled as they passed PC Choate. The police officer grabbed Gardstein, who had been firing the earlier shots, and in a struggle over the gun, Choate was shot several times. 
Other gang members, seeing what was going on, also took aim at Choate. As Choate fell, he took Garsting down with him, who was then hit by one of the gang's own bullets. Gang members grabbed Garsting and fled in the direction of Middlesex Street. We walked down Petticoat Lane only this morning. Officers Choate and Tucker were taken to the Royal London, but neither of them survived. Officers Bentley, Bryant and Woodens were taken to Bart's Hospital, where sadly Sergeant Bentley died later of his injuries. Now the gang, they made their way to Grove Street, carrying the seriously injured George Garstein. On arrival, a doctor was called who wanted Garstein to be taken to a hospital. Not surprisingly, he refused. And when the doctor returned the next day, he found that Garstein was dead, and all but one, a woman, had left the property. The, do uh, the doctor notified the coroner, who in turn notified the police, and the woman was arrested. Another female gang member was to later make her, uh, make her way to a police station, and she gave herself up. By the 22nd of December, three more gang members had been arrested, and the five were tried at the Guildhall on the 30th of December. I'm always impressed at the speed with, all, with which all of this sort of happens. It doesn't happen like that nowadays, does it? Uh, and they, after that, were remanded in custody. Two gang members were tracked to 100 Sydney Street, and there, on the 3rd of January, as you all know, uh, 1911, took place what has become known as the Siege of Sydney Street. A battle raged in which a building caught fire, while the fire officer lost his life, and the charred remains of two of the gang were found in the wreckage. One had died from the effects of fire, and the other, I understand, from a bullet through the head. In early February, three more suspects were picked up. The authorities were confident they had all the surviving members of the gang, except one very elusive man known as Peter the Painter. Now there were eight in custody, three women and five men. At the subsequent committal proceedings, it was felt there was insufficient evidence to proceed with four of them, and they were released. The trial of the remaining four took place at the Old Bailey in May. Charges of murder, being an accessory after the fact of conspiracy to steal, were levelled at the defendants, but one by one the charges fell away, leaving just one of the women guilty of conspiracy to steal, and that was a little difficult to deny because her fingerprints were found in 11 exchange buildings. And she and she alone were sentenced to two years. Six weeks later, on appeal, she too was released. So for what had been the worst atrocity in police history, there were no convictions, and now the deceased Garstein being considered to be the murderer of the three police officers. Um, oh, there we are. There he is. And there are the three deceased police officers. Their funeral took place at St Paul's Cathedral on the 22nd of December 1910, with crowds lining the route to pay their respects. Sergeant Bentley and Tucker were buried at the City of London Cemetery at Ilford, and Constable Choate was buried at St Mary's Church in Byfleet. 
and there is a photograph of the funeral cortege turning up outside St Paul's Cathedral. So that's just a whistle-stop tour through the uh, Houndsditch murders. And I repeat, that had left three police officers dead and two seriously injured. Sergeants Tucker, Benkey and Constable Choate were dead. The two injured police officers were Sergeant William Thomas Bryant and Constable Ernest Woodhams. And it's Sergeant Bryant that I want to talk to you about now. Now, several years ago, in fact, I can almost remember exactly when, I think it was December 2019, so what's significant it was, it was just before COVID, I was giving a talk to the WI, um, in, in where I live, in, in Norfolk, uh, and afterwards a lady, who I'm going to call Sally, because that's her name, <laughs> she approached me and she said, that her grandfather had been present at the Houndsditch murders. <laughs> Imagine the hairs kind of stood up in the back. I was not expecting this at all. And she then went on to tell me that her grandfather was none other than Sergeant William Bryant. It got even better because she then went on to tell me uh, that of course her, her far, grandfather had been a city London police officer, seriously injured on that night in December 1910. And she also told me that as a result of that, he had been subsequently invalided out of the police force. Now, the bit that really just sent tingles up my spine was she said that from the time of his injuries for about another two years, her grandmother, his wife, um, had kept a scrapbook. The scrapbook had been passed down through the family and it was now in her possession. She asked if I would like to see it. They called, they called. I said yes, yes, I would like to see it. So about a week later, I went round to her house and we sat at her kitchen table and over coffee she produced this. Well, first of all, she showed me that photograph. I've had it followed in since. So that is her grandfather. That is William Thomas Bright. Good looking young man, isn't he? Okay. And that is the book that she showed to me. Um, and she let me go through it. Then she said, would you like to take it home? <laughs> <laughs> I did take it home. Uh, I said, was it okay, okay to? photocopy, photograph, what was in it. She said, yes, absolutely. Well, of course, if that was December 2019, of course, by March of 2020, we had locked down. Um, I did take copies of everything that I wanted to take copies of, um, and I returned the, uh, the scrapbooks to her, and I remember having to park outside her house, ring her on my mobile, put the scrapbook on the wall, going back however many meters it was two shopping trolleys or whatever it was uh, while she came out to get it so that beginning of lockdown that we all experienced in early 2020 this is what kept me sane okay so what i'd like to do now is to show you some of the things that were in that scrapbook okay 
Before I did that, though, I did some research <coughs> on, her, on her grandfather because she actually she knew nothing about him. So, um, you know, people like us, we like to do things like that. So I discovered, and I, and I fed this back to her, that he was the first child of Robert Cooper Bryant uh, and his wife, Emma. Uh, he had been born in 1874, and at the time of his birth, uh, they were living at 17 White Street in Bethnal Green. Okay, so a bit of a, bit of a map there. Now, if you look at a map today, you won't find White Street. Um, but as you know, Valance Road was called Baker's Road. And that went as far as the junction with Hanbury Street. After Hanbury Street, it continued north as Charles Street. Then it became New Charles Street. Then it became Wellington Street and then it became White Street. So I imagine just to keep uh, the, the, the men that have to deliver the mail same, uh, they renumbered in January 1896 all of those streets and renamed the entire street Valance uh, Road. So in fact, he was born really at the far end of Valance Road. Uh, in fact, I traced Robert Cooper through the electoral rolls and census records, and he was at 17 White Street in 1878, 1880, 1881, 1882, so he was born at number 17 White Street. Um, okay, yes, uh, and there is a, a picture of the junction, uh, Sale Street looking west, uh, with the junction of Valorous Road. And then St. Matthew's there in the background. So I'll just show you that picture to give you an idea, but you know this anyway, that he, you know, he really came from quite humble uh, beginnings. Uh, on the uh, 1891 census, William was aged 17, and he's listed actually on that census as an upholsterer. And it wasn't until shortly after his, father death, his father's death in December 1898 that he joined the City of London Police Force. He married uh, Elizabeth Louisa Hunt just 10 months later, on the 10th of October 1899. And late in 1900, their son, William Robert, was born. This young family of three were living at 27 temple dwellings in Bethnal Green. Okay, so there's a, an up-to-date picture of Vanoch Road. Right, on the 25th of February 1910, they had a second son, his name was Cyril Henry. Um, and this family of four were now living in police accommodation, which was at number 17 Rose Alley uh, in Bishopsgate. So that's all I can find left of Rose Alley nowadays. Uh, so it was with one son, aged just 10, and another son, aged 10 months, that Elizabeth Bryant had to cope with a seriously injured husband, and her way of coping was to keep her scrapbook. And here it is. Now, with the Houndsditch uh, atrocity being so close to Christmas, an awful lot of the get well soon messages were in the form of Christmas cards. So
So that was really the very first thing when I opened the scrapbook was that lovely Christmas card, complete with those little sort of age, sort of mildew or something. It's also, it gives them a lovely smell as well. Uh, and what I liked about that Christmas card was, was really the wording on it, a good old-fashioned Christmas to you. Lovely. Uh, you know, I think we're going to have that on the cover of my chocolate. <laughs> so, yeah, lovely Christmas card there. Um, there we are. Uh, that card was from Young Bob. Um, I liked that card in particular uh, because it says best and truest wishes. I noticed the word truest was used on quite a number of the communications, and it's not a word that uh, we use now. Uh, and that's what it said inside that card uh, to Uncle Will, so that's William Bright. So uh, young Bob is obviously his nephew. Dear Uncle, hope you soon get better and come round and have a bit of pudding with us. So obviously William Bright had a bit of a, uh, a sweet tooth. Another card, this one. Uh, at first I thought this was a card from a stranger, but Sally told me uh, that it wasn't. Um, so this is a card from a Grenadier Guard, very nice looking card there, um, and that turned out to be William's brother, Jim. One of the many pages in the scrapbook that's absolutely covered in cards and various get well soon messages. I, I just never tired of looking at that. Lovely, lot, lot of those cards appear to be homemade, um, and some lovely letters and messages inside. Also look with season's greetings and wishing uh, William well. Uh, I particularly liked this one. This was a letter to uh, Mr. Bryant from the staff and the children of Swan Street School, Minories, and it's going to go from where we are sitting now. Dear Mr. Bryant, on behalf of the children and teachers of this school, I beg most tenderly to offer our heartfelt sympathy in the terrible ordeal through which you passed last Friday evening and its consequent suffering and pain. We all earnestly pray that you may speedily recover and be restored to the dear ones of your family and to your noble comrades. Isn't it lovely? I think we've lost the art, haven't we, of letter writing? You know, I, I wouldn't expect to see a letter worded like that nowadays, and, you know, it would be text and use number two for two and letter U for yeah, 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 absolutely. Beautiful, isn't it? Lovely. From, from Swan Street School in the Minerals. Um, this one fascinated me, this letter here. It's a letter from somebody uh, in Hastings. So let, let me just read it to you. And this one actually is uh, to Mrs. Bryant. It says, Dear Mrs. Bryant, just uh, a few lines to tell you how very sorry we are to hear of Mr. Bryant's being attacked by those wretches. Uh, dear uh, Mrs. Bryant, I'm so sorry uh, for you. I can only, uh, I can understand what a dreadful time uh, you're having in uh, Mr. Bryant. Oh, is Mr. Bryant seriously injured? One cannot go much by the papers. Nothing new there. Uh, that these beasts, I do hope they are caught. Hanging is too good for them. How are your little ones getting on? I expect poor Willie is upset. He is so fond of his father. I do hope Mr. Bryant will soon be getting better. If you have time and feel you can write, we should so like to know how he's getting on. Uh, 
there is no one here that we like more and respect more than Mr. Bryant. I hope you're keeping as well as can be expected with this worry and trouble, hoping to hear good news from you soon. Your sincerely, A. Page. If I read that letter once, and I read it many, many times, my feeling was that A. Page was a woman. I didn't feel, yeah? Yeah, I, I, yes, I, I thought it was a woman. She clearly knew the Bryants. She wasn't a stranger to them. And there were letters in the, in, in the scrapbook which were from strangers. Um, but I think she knows them. Obviously, she makes a, a reference to the brilliant how fond he is of his father. Um, so I, I just got to look into this. Uh, anyway, yeah, I found her. Yes, I found her. Okay, well, obviously... Uh, 1900 level census was only just round the corner, uh, and there she is on the 1907 uh, census. She's Annie Page, um, and I believe that uh, Annie Page actually took the pay. Yes, she lives in Hastings, and I think the clients went there on holiday. Um, the address was here we are, for Lindsall Cottages, East Hill, Hastings. And then when we looked at the census uh, for Linsall Cottages, uh, Tackleway Hastings, I thought, I've just got to find this place. <coughs> you know, I wonder if it's still there, but the clients went on holiday. Uh, well, yes, and I found it. Um, the cottages are still there, and the four Linsall Cottages still there. Um, and if any of you are familiar with Hastings, I've, I've thrown in a little map there to show, yeah, there it is. Sorry, no, it's there. That's, that's where that property was. So, Possibly somewhere they'd spent their holidays. Um, I love this letter as well. This was a, a sympathy letter from the council in Paddington. Okay, so uh, I, I loved it, loved it. So no laughing. Dear sir, at the meeting of the council of this borough yesterday, sympathetic reference was made to the seer, severe injuries you sustained while engaged in the execution of your duties on Friday last. Uh, and the following resolution was passed, which was I was instructed to transmit to you, viz. Uh, that this council expresses its profound sympathy with the wives and families of the brave city police officers who were murdered or wounded whilst engaged in the execution of their duties on Friday last, and directs that a copy of this resolution be forwarded to the Corporation of the City of London and to the relatives of the officers in question. Yours faithfully from the town club. Well, lovely letter, lovely letter. There are a number of telegrams were sent to Bart's hospital where, of course, he, he was held uh, there in hospital. If you notice, uh, the one on the bottom is from a lady, Hickman, um, and I try as I might, so I haven't been able to find out who. Lady Hickman was, and in fact she didn't actually write it, she was <coughs> her secretary or, or, or a maid, say, to write it, um, and it's addressed, the, the telegram's addressed to the matron at St. Bart's Hospital, and it says, Lady Hickman would like to know um, how the wounded policemen are going on, she wishes to express her deep sympathy with them. Lovely. The one at the top, I just love that one at the top. Uh, that was also a telegram. If you look closely, it was sent on Christmas Day. Sent on Christmas Day. Amazing. And actually, it's from all the lads down at the Nick. It says, 
your Bishop's Gate comrades and their, uh, send their good wishes for a happy Christmas and a speedy return to duty. Signed, Penfold. Yes, I, I did look into see who Penfold was, and indeed he, he was a police officer at Bishop's Gate Police Station. Yeah, but sent on Christmas Day. Uh, and indeed, William had been rushed to St. Giles Hospital uh, along with Sergeant Bentley. And this was also in the scrapbook. It was a postcard, and William looked easy for you to see there. But um, it is a postcard showing darkly ward. Not a good name for <coughs> ward in a hospital, is it? There's probably a reason for it, but uh, darkly ward. So I, I, I think this is possibly the ward where William uh, Bright uh, was being treated and nursed. Uh, and indeed, William Bright stayed in hospital until the 11th of January. A lot of the scrapbook was newspaper cuttings, and a lot of the cuttings that I was looking at I could also find on the British newspaper archive. But there was uh, one cutting that I couldn't track down from the British newspaper archive, which makes me wonder whether it was the Times, because that's not a part of the British newspaper archive, it's got its own archive for which you have to pay, and I'm jolly well not going to do it. Um, anyway, so there we are, there is a picture of Brian. He, he looks as though he's standing on the edge of the curb, as though he's about to cross the road. And then what it says underneath is, uh, Sergeant Bryant, who was shot at Houndsditch and is still under treatment at St. Bartholomew's Hospital, went outside yesterday for the first time since being wounded. He attended the resumed inquest of Sergeant Bentley at the City Coroner's Court, but was not called. So, you know, even the paparazzi were around in those days, waiting to catch him as he came out of the hospital. This um, quite sort of plain-looking piece of paper, uh, summons to appear at the coroner's court on February 11th, 1911, uh, and it was dated on 31st of January, so we've got three days' notice uh, to appear at the coroner's court. What I couldn't fail to notice, and this isn't me underlining it, it says, hearing, uh, fail not at your peril. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> right, so anyway, he's been summoned to appear at the coroner's court, uh, and in the scrapbook was the uh, coroner's report in its entirety, an original copy. I know you can get them nowadays, you'll, you'll, you'll find them uh, on the internet. Uh, and Sergeant Bryant's evidence was given on page 32. So there we are. Uh, where are we? Yeah. Sergeant William Thomas Bryant, his evidence was given on page 32. Then there's this. On the 9th of January, uh, this is a message from Sergeant Bryant, and what it says is that he must go to the stores uh, to get measured up for his new uniform, because he might get called before the cooking soon. Just a might. On the other hand, he might not. But certainly a telephone message that had been taken by the death sergeant to pass on to Sergeant Bright, go to the stores and get messaged up for the new uniform. Because you never know, you never know. Best to be prepared. I think something to try a bit too hard not to give something away. So, what happened? Yes, indeed. He was, did indeed get 
summons here before the king. Um, and he's therefore invited to St. James's Palace on the 23rd of February, 1911. Again, notice the speed which all of these things are happening. Uh, and he's going to be awarded the King's Police Medal. And notice he is now Sub-Inspector William Wright. Okay, he's being promoted. Uh, on the 23rd of February, William Thomas Bryant was awarded the King's Police Medal by George V at St. James's Palace. Uh, and there is a lovely photograph of him there having received his medal, looking extremely smart in his new uniform. That picture, those pictures I got from the internet to show you what a police medal uh, would actually look like. Uh, and I'd like you to notice the ribbons on that medal. Now, back to the scrapbook. Even the scrapbook was the ribbon to the medal. And as you can see, it looks pretty phrased there. But just go back again. Yeah, it's the correct ribbon that goes with that medal. There we are. So that was in the scrapbook, but the medal wasn't in the scrapbook, and I'll come back to that in just a moment. Uh, William in, William's injuries were such that on his return to work, he was put on desk duties, was very rapidly, as I've already pointed out, promoted to sub-inspector, and then he retired on the grounds of ill health on the 6th of April 1911, and he was awarded a pension of 136 pounds and 10 shillings per annum, which is about 6,200 uh, in today's money. So, um, you know, it, it was a, a sizable pension, but not something that he, he could live on. Um, and uh, in subsequent years, he went to work for a coal merchant and in their office, uh, uh, dealing with all of their paperwork to supplement his pension. On the 26th of November 1918, tragedy befell this family again when William, uh, when William Robert, Sergeant Bright, and his wife's uh, firstborn child died of meningitis at the age of 17. By, the, by then, the family were uh, living at 54 Woodville Road in Golden Street, so they were living in that house there. They later moved to Pinner, and in 1949, on the 8th of March, William died at number 19 Athol Gardens. And that's where they were living at the time of his death. He didn't actually die in that property. Uh, William's wife, Elizabeth, died eight years later in 1957, and Cyril, their only surviving child, inherited the scrapbook. Cyril then married Nina in the third quarter of 1939, and they started their married life at number 120 Northumberland Road, which purely coincidentally is just two roads away from where our daughter Catherine now lives. Uh, the couple had two children. They had Robert in 1943, and of course Sally, that I've been telling you about in 1946 and I've just given away Sally's age. <laughs> Cyril died in December 1975 at the age of 65, 
And his wife, Nina, continued to live at their home, now number 45, Elmcroft Crescent in North Harrow. And she was now living in that house. And the scrapbook was now in Nina's possession. Nina is Sally's mother. Then on the 18th of August, 1985, Sally, my newfound friend, took her mother Nina, who at that point was aged 73, on a holiday. And sometime between the 18th and the 30th of August, that house was broken into, and the medal, which had been kept separately from the scrapbook, was stolen. It was in a jewellery box, and the thieves just picked up the entire jewellery box, and of course the medal was gone. The river, still the scrapbook, that wasn't taken, but the medal was gone. So that is really where my story would have ended. But as I said, we are then, we are now in lockdown. I am bored. Um, nothing we can do. So I started to ask my questions about the King's Police Medal. Is there still such a thing? Have it become the Queen's Police Medal? I didn't know. So I did some Googling, really, just to entertainment value. And I found this. On the 22nd of July, 2015, at a very prestigious auction house in London, which will remain nameless. Guess what came up for auction? Yep, you got it. Sergeant Bryant's medal, complete with a ribbon. Oh, you little fibbers! The ribbon, isn't it? Yes. Fake. Expected price for uh, four to five thousand. Actually sold for six thousand pounds. So. Well, I phoned Sally. I asked if she was sitting down. She said she wasn't. I suggested she did. And I passed that information on to her. She was obviously flabbergasted and said, could I send everything I had over to her? Because her son is, guess what? A Metropolitan Police Officer. And I'm afraid any more than that I cannot tell you. So, as far as I know, the family are still looking into this. I don't believe the family have got that uh, medal back. Sally did tell me sort of unofficially that she'd be prepared to pay £6,000 uh, in order to get it back. Anyway, let me just leave you with one final item from the scrapbook. It was that um, these were being sold for one penny a copy in aid of a fund being raised for the benefit of the friends of the victims. The dastardly outrage on the city police by aliens uh, at Houndish, December 1910. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. Oh, don't run away. Oh, no. Questions? <laughs> um, like you, I was astonished that the crime could be committed and being caught two, three weeks later. Um, I wish those people worked for Norfolk County Council. I was, indeed, yes, we, we speak as one on this, trust me. Um, and of course, the three policemen uh, had their names immortalised in the building on Sydney Street. Now it's named after the people who killed them. That's really clever. Sorry, that's just my little soapbox. Would anyone have any questions, please? Oh, Lord. <laughs>
Thanks to him for a fascinating insight. It's always great to have such a personal story behind a significant criminal event. But I wonder if I just asked you to go back to this slide on the coroner's inquest. Yes. Because I don't know how many people noticed which coroner. Yeah, yeah, Wynne Baxter. Yeah, it's our old friend Wynne Baxter. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, there we go. Oh, yeah, brilliant. Yes, thank you. Assuming, can you hear me? Assuming I knew his injuries, would it be fair to say the promotion was probably just to give him a bigger pension? Oh, no doubt about it. Yeah, absolutely. No doubt about the Excellent, Sue. Thanks a lot for that. Um, the scrapbook is amazing. Is this something that the Victorians were good at, keeping scrapbooks? It's something that we don't we seem to have lost. I, I understand that is the case. And I, I, uh, Neil, who spoke yesterday at the Whitechapel Society, um, yes, he, he bought a couple of scrapbooks, uh, Victorian scrapbooks, on market, uh, old markets. And uh, similarly, photograph albums. I always think it's such a shame, isn't it? Particularly when you see photograph albums in an antique shop or, or, or a market stall, that they, they were very personal to somebody. And then they're being sold, and they're just faces to us. And just a shame that uh, we're not going to sell our, <coughs> our photograph albums. Mind you, I don't know photograph albums anymore, do we? True. Uh, the, the letters are fantastic as well. Oh, yeah. Absolutely yeah. amazing. Oh, yeah. That's, we've lost that skill as well. Yeah, calligraphy. Yeah, that's true. I, I, I love the, um, the report from the council in Paddington, which took three paragraphs before it said it. It stated its cause. I absolutely love things like this. We took a vote to decide to send you a letter upon the following items. They passed a resolution. Oh, that's right. They, they had a vote about whether to support someone. That's really, that's really kind of just a sorry. It, d democracy does indeed work, apart from Norfolk County Council. Um, I'm in a bad mood now. Any more questions? Just one, one thing to mention. Sorry, this is actually Mark told me this when you had your um, the original document, the, the Christmas card with all the mildew on. Apparently, it's called foxing. Yeah, Mark, foxing. Yeah. Oh, is that what it is? Yes, right, okay. You it's get a chemical term. You do, don't you? Yes. Yeah. 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 Well, thank you very much. Sir. Thank you for your talk. And that was Sue Perry on Sergeant Bryant's scrapbook at the 2023 East End Conference. I would like to thank the organizers of this event for making the release of the talks available to Rippercast again this year. Be sure to check out the podcast episode listings for all of the past conference talks that we've been privileged enough to share with you over the years. We are a podcast sponsored and hosted by Casebook.org, where you will find hundreds of roundtable discussions, conference presentations, author interviews, book reviews, Whitechapel Society meetings, and assorted odds and ends, all about Jack the Ripper, the Whitechapel murders, and Victorian true crime. I'd like to thank you all for listening. See you next time.